welcome back to another episode of What's in Your Hometown. I'm sitting here a million miles away from my lovely, lovely, beautiful co-host, Julia. You're so sweet. (laughs) Thank you. I try to be sometimes. Most of the time, no. Yeah. (laughs) It's okay. If you're sweet all the time, then people expect it of you, and then you can't be a bitch when you need to. That's right. Then people are like, whoa, is it that time of month? No, you pissed me off. Fuck off. Mm -hmm. Speaking of which, what's in your hometown, Julia? Or what's in your backyard? <laughs> oh, man. It's just, it's more of the same. I uh, am not good at my job, and I am not good at dating. But you know what? <laughs> I don't care, because my bar exam results come back tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing's going well right now. But I don't want to yeah. spend the top of the show complaining, so... No, every once in a while, it's just shit. <laughs> yeah, it is. And I mean, well, like, what am I going to do? It is what it is. Uh, there's only so much that I can do from this point out other than just sit here in existential dread. I'll be fine. Yeah. Shall I tell you about my near-death experience that was not at all a near-death experience? <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> all right, so in my backyard, first of all, Julia, mm-hmm. it is the 10th of October. Mm-hmm. And I have just, just gotten Halloween decorations. What? Yeah, okay. For all of you that don't understand, Halloween is like cocaine for me. <laughs> I only get it once a year. And when I get it, I take a lot of it. So, like, I love like Halloween. It's like a month-long thing. And I start, I start October 1st and I end November 30th. <laughs> like, uh-huh. That's my Halloween. Yeah, and it's super important. I can't believe I got Halloween decorations up before you did. This is wrong. Yeah, no, I went too because I had to go get groceries today, and I go get groceries at the lovely 99-cent stores that litter Nevada, uh, Nevada, and I love them. Uh, And they had Halloween decorations, and I was like, well, shit, it's only (laughs) (laughs) $1.99. But on to my near-death experience. Um, So... Okay, so I texted you about it last night, but you didn't see it until this morning. So I came home yesterday from, like, work. Uh, I got to the house at, like, 6 o'clock. My house smelled like my house, which to me doesn't smell like anything. I don't know what other people would say it smells like, (laughs) but to me, it doesn't smell like anything. I lit a candle. I put on Bob's Burgers, and as, like, three episodes into Bob's Burgers, I was like, What's that smell? (laughs) Is is that the candle? It smelled like fresh paint. And so I was very concerned about this candle because I've lit this candle before. I was like, have I just been so congested that I haven't noticed my candle smells like fresh paint? So I started doing what I call the Sam panic, which is Googling. (laughs) I started Googling, (laughs) which I do every time I get sick and I'm like, oh, I have cancer. But no, um. So it smelled like fresh paint in my apartment and it didn't smell that way when I came home and I got home at like six and what handyman does work at six in the evening. So I stayed up forever Googling and came to the decision that my hot water heater was leaking a gas that smells like paint thinner and that I was going to die in the middle of the night. (laughs) (laughs) My solution to this was I turned off, like, on the breaker box, I turned off everything but my fridge, opened my windows, and then went to sleep and was like, well, I guess if I die, I die. <laughs> Good enough. Which is my solution to everything. It's just sleep. I woke up this morning and, like, talked to my landlords, and they were like, no, they were painting yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so stupid. Okay. Don't, like, okay, if you get sick. Don't Google when you're sick. Don't Google when you think you're being poisoned. Oh, well, uh, that was a wonderful story. And I (laughs) I woke up to that text this morning and I'm like, thank God you figured that out. Because I was more concerned that someone had made a candle that smelled like paint. And I was really worried for them. Yeah, no, I I kept I spent a solid hour staring at my candle going, did it always smell like this? losing my mind no i just i just panicked for no reason Mm -hmm. all right 
I have been researching for like the past two days and I'm so excited because I love this topic and I'm going to blame bl- uh, Tom Hardy. <sighs> Tom Hardy. Okay. okay. <laughs> so today, Julia has graciously allowed me to run away with one of my obsessions and I will be presenting our story today. <laughs> I am so excited to sit here and just be like a reaction person for this episode and just oh I can't wait to hear what you have to tell me. I'm I'm just I'm so excited. So, today I'm going to bring you the story of Ma Barker and the Barker Capris gang. Ooh, okay. Or Carpus, not Carpus. Carpus Carpus not Capris. There we go. Barker Carpus gang. Okay. And I love old school depression era gangs. I love them. And like I said, I blame Tom Hardy from that movie Legend because god damn it, that man is beautiful. Yeah, good enough. Listen. Yeah. I I'm pretty sure I developed like a love of ships and things because Leonardo DiCaprio was real pretty when he was in Titanic. <laughs> Ship killed him, Julia. Yeah. I never watched the second VHS because I knew I was going to be sad. So I just watched the entire first one right up until they found out that, like, the necklace was planted in his pocket and he was being dragged away. And then I was like, oh, good, a convenient stopping point because the VHS is over. Time to rewind this and do it again. Can I just say hashtag we're old? (laughs) We had to to put in two VHS tapes to watch one movie. Oh, my God. (laughs) Okay, so Ma Barker and the Barker Carpus Gang. I'm so excited. This has some twists and turns. I'm so Ooh. excited to see your face at the end because my face, when I found like the ending, I was like, are you fucking kidding me? I'm so excited. Okay, so a little bit about Ma Barker. Uh, she was born in Arizona, or she was born Arizona Clark. So her real name is Arizona Clark. Uh, she was born in Ash Grove, Missouri. On October 8th, 1873, to parents John and Emmeline Clark. And her family called her Ari, which I think is beautiful. Oh, that is cute. Uh, She was commonly known as a ruthless matriarch who controlled and organized the crimes of the Barker Carpus gang. Uh, J. Edgar Hoover described her as the most vicious, dangerous, and resourceful criminal brain of the last decade. Ooh. Hi, compliments. No, no, no. Wait, here's the thing. (laughs) Okay. Everyone who knew her insisted she had no role in the crimes of her sons, Fred and Arthur Barker. Uh, They insisted that she was just their mother and she traveled with them and the rest of the Barker Carpus gang because they were her sons. Uh, Those who knew her insisted Hoover created the character of the ruthless, vicious Ma Barker to excuse the FBI for killing her. Ooh. Yeah, it got better. <laughs> that sounds like Hoover. <laughs> yep, it does. I'm along for the ride. This is so fun. This is going to be great. Uh, so let's look at the Mara Barker. Uh, let's look at Mara Barker and the Barker Carpus gang. So Ma had a fairly uneventful childhood. Um, her family was poor. Her father drank. Her parents were of Irish and Scottish descent. Uh, she was said to be a headstrong girl with a dark penetrating eyes and a nasty temper except that i wrote nasty temple (laughs) (laughs) not the same thing at all a little different just a little bit she had a fairly uneventful childhood unless you buy into the story that uh she did witness the local outlaw jesse james and his gang ride through her town and it created in her this love of crime but again that's like there's two sides of ma barker there's the side where people consider her a ruthless criminal and gang leader mastermind and then there's the side that the gang members adhere to (laughs) that she that she was just like she was there because she liked her sons (laughs) (laughs) so um Still, uh, the bulk of her history comes after her marriage to George Barker in 1892. So George is described by the FBI as a shiftless, or as shiftless. Uh, He seemed to float between several jobs, farmer, watchman, stations, engineer, clerk, and so on. And this is leading into the Great Depression, so it's no wonder that he really couldn't keep a job. Nobody could in the Great Depression. Yeah, really. Uh, 
Together, Ma and George Barker had four sons, and it's the sons that are really the start of the story. So they had uh, Herman, Lloyd, Arthur, and Fred in that order. So Herman was the oldest, Fred was the youngest. The FBI described the boys as largely illiterate, as both Ma and George paid little to no attention to their son's education. But the story of Ma Barker doesn't come from how she raised her boys, it comes from who her boys became. Mm-hmm. So the Barker boys started committing crimes as early as 1910. Herman, the oldest, was about 17 when he was arrested for highway robbery after running over a child in a getaway car. What? Yeah. Now, you ran over a kid in a car in 1910. 1910. Yeah, it's 1910. It's not like those cars had great steering or stopping capabilities. It's not like there were that many cars around. Where did he get a car? <laughs> he stole them. Did you miss the highway robbery part of this? From who? <laughs> that wasn't... The point wasn't... I got the highway robbery part. That was fine. I'm amazed that there is a car anywhere for him to steal in 1910. They just stole him from people who had cars in 1910. I don't know. All right. <laughs> uh, Herman wasn't the only criminal in the family. He and his brothers were reportedly involved in crimes of increasing seriousness, including robbery and murder. Uh, they were all inducted into major crime by the Central Park Gang, who were known not only for their high-profile robberies, but for their frequent escapes from prison. Fun fact, the members of the Central Park Gang were said to have sworn a blood oath to free each other from jail should they ever be captured or they would die trying. Mm-hmm. Um, Herman was one of the gang's earliest recruits, and Arthur Barker, who was two years younger than Herman, uh, was arrested with Ray Terrell, the founder of the gang in the early 1920s. So they were just fully indoctrined into this gang. Mm-hmm. So their life of crime continued until August 29th, 1927, when Herman died after a robbery gone bad. Uh, he and his cohorts had managed to get a reported... <laughs> <laughs> this is 1927, Julia. They got a reported $207,000 in cash and securities from a bank job. What? Yeah. I'm sorry. Say time. that again. $207,000. That is a fuckload of money. Mm-hmm. Uh, he failed in an attempt to pass off stolen checks in Wyoming. An officer tried to stop Herman in the 40-mile pursuit, and he shot him point-blank in the mouth. Uh, This led to a shootout in Wichita, and Herman then killed himself to avoid prosecution when he was seriously wounded after crashing his car during the getaway. Mm -hmm. Uh, Soon after, in 1928, Lloyd Barker was incarcerated in the federal penitentiary at Leavenworth, Kansas. At the time, Mm. Arthur was in Oklahoma State Prison and Fred Barker, the youngest, was in Kansas State Prison. So Lloyd had uh, largely tried to resist a life of crime. Um, He enlisted in the Army for World War I, but he was mustered out in 1919. In 1921, he robbed a mall or a mail truck in Baxter Springs, Kansas, which led to his conviction. Um, Happy fact. When he was released in 1938, he avoided a life of crime and re-enlisted for service in World War II. After the war, he lived in Denver, Colorado. Unhappy fact, (laughs) his wife shot and killed him in 1949, and she was institutionalized shortly after. Ah, that's not great. Yeah. No, unhappy facts. Um... (laughs) So it seemed that Lloyd's arrest was the last straw for George Barker, the father. Uh, he did not approve of any of his son's actions, uh, according to Miriam Allen DeFord, who you might know from the short story A Death in the Family. She wrote it. Uh, George gave up on the family completely and left Ma. Okay. A friend of the family said that uh, Ma and George argued about the children's dissolute life, saying that Ma countenanced for their wrongdoings while George refused to accept them. So it's not that Ma was like, yeah, go out and rob everybody. It's more like like Ma, for her part, was never involved in any of the crime, uh, but she refused to discipline her boys and would fly into a rage at anyone, including her husband, who tried to scold them. Uh, She would pester police when they were arrested until the cops would release them um, at the time. 
uh, they were teens when this happened. Um, they would release them just out of sheer frustration of dealing with Ma Barker. Uh, Mar was just one of those parents who could do like their, her sons could do no wrong, even though they did quite a lot of wrong. <laughs> <laughs> She's quoted uh, as saying, if the good people of this town don't like my boys, then the good people know what they can do. Oh. I yeah, like which it. is the nice way of saying kiss my ass. Yeah, I was going to say, that's the nice way of saying fuck you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so after Lloyd's arrest, George left the family, leaving Ma in miserable poverty. Now, he left in 1928. This is like the kickoff of the Great Depression. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, the stock, stock market crashed in 29. Uh, she was an unmarried woman living during the Great Depression. She lived on a dirt floor shack with no husband, no job, and all of her remaining sons in prison. So when her son Fred was released from jail or from prison, he was released from prison in 1931. Uh, I can't imagine the relief that she felt just at him being released. And she like she, like every prison that her sons were in, she just went to and harassed them basically and was like please let one of my poor boys out oh please let one of my poor boys out they definitely deserve to be in prison but apparently in 1931 you could just harass the guards into giving your son parole (laughs) (laughs) and that's what they did with the youngest fred uh so granted by 1930 she had started living with and supposedly married a jobless man named arthur dunlop or dunlap one or the other uh it's both ways in every source that I found. So she had uh, been living with a man, but he didn't have any money either. So when her friend, when her son Fred was released, she was just like, hell yeah. Um, <laughs> after Fred was released, Ma is really when Ma Barker's story became that of legend because she is a legendary character now. Yeah. She, fun fact, she is uh, uh, the mother from the Goonies the criminal mother from the Goonies really is loosely based on Mara Barker. No way. Oh yeah. That woman and I scared kn- me to death when I was a child. <laughs> I knew it as soon as I saw a picture of Mara Barker in my research. I was like, the Goonies was based off her. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, um, <clears throat> You see, Fred wasn't one of those boys who went to jail, found God, and decided to live a higher life. (laughs) Instead, Fred found Alvin Karpus, a fellow criminal who was nicknamed Creepy for his sinister smile. Oh, that's not great. That's not a great nickname to come out of prison with. Okay, fun fact about Alvin Karpus. Uh, He was creepy? There are only... Yes. Um, there are only four public enemies ever given the title of public enemy number one by the FBI. Those oh. were Alvin Carpus, John Dillinger, Pretty Boy Floyd, and Babyface Nelson. And Alvin was the only one to be taken in alive. Wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. So soon after Fred's release, he joined Alvin and formed the Barker Carpus gang. Now, Murderpedia, which. Not a great source, but a good source. Uh, says that Ma supported her son's decision to form the gang. But here's the thing. She's living in a shack with her deadbeat husband. I'm positive she wasn't going to sit on her dirt, dirt floor and be like, no, Fred, you can't join a gang or you can never come home. Like, no, she was mm-hmm. just going to be like, come in, my child. Do whatever you want. Just come back to me. <laughs> You're home. I'm happy. Would you like some dirt? That's what we eat now. It's dirt. I was going to offer you food, but we don't have any. Exactly. So, like, I'm sure it wasn't just, like, she was, like, sitting on the floor, like, rejoicing that he joined a gang. I'm sure she was just like, whatever, as long as you're here. Are Um, you here? Can you make money? Okay, good. Oh, girl. So... (laughs) <laughs> Either way, Ma offered and Fred accepted, and soon the Tulsa shack that Ma lived in was a hideout for the gang. Now, the gang consisted of three core members, Alvin Creepy Carpus, Fred Barker, and Arthur, Ar- Arthur Doc Barker. That's a lot to say. Arthur Barker. <laughs> Ugh. 
I'm just going to call him Dark Doc. There were uh, they were one of the longest lived criminal gangs during the Depression era. They operated from 1931 to 1935. And while that doesn't seem like a long time, the other more like more well-known games like the Dillinger Gang only operated between 1933 and 1934. Bonnie and Clyde only operated between 1932 and 1934. So they they made it a really long time. Oh, wow, so, okay. I mean, it may not seem like a lot, but for what it was, roughly four years was a hell of a long time to operate the way these gangs operated. I mean, you got to think, they were constantly hit, they constantly hit up banks and narrowly escaped police. Bonnie and Clyde, uh, for the whole two to three years that they were in operation, were constantly on the run. I mean, they they never stopped moving. Mm-hmm. Uh, also huh. compared to their contemporaries, the Barker Carpus gang was perhaps more ruthless in their endeavors. Ooh, okay. Yeah, more ruthless than John Dillinger and Babyface Nelson. That is a freaking horrifying thought. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So... Soon after its creation, Fred and Alvin started committing a series of burglaries and small-time bank robberies. On December 1931, uh, they robbed a department store in West Plains, Missouri. The next day, they shot and murdered the town sheriff, uh, Sheriff C.R. Kelly, at point-blank range. On March 29th, 1932. Sorry, I'm just imagining someone shooting R. Kelly, and that makes me happier than it should. <laughs> you know what? That makes me happier than it should. No, it should make you happy. <laughs> <laughs> He's scum. Listen, I I don't really care what sort of music you make, uh, genuinely, if you um, are that much of a creep. Um. So... On March 29th, 1932, Fred, Alvin, and three accomplices robbed the Northwestern National Bank in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and made a clean getaway. Julia, they got away with more than a quarter of a million dollars in 1932. Holy shit. <laughs> Holy shit, are you kidding me? I am not. Oh my god. Overall, I think I read somewhere uh, they're just their robberies because they got into more crimes. Just their robberies, they made three million dollars. I don't know why you would do anything but rob <laughs> banks. What? <laughs> what is your incentive to work ever? Jesus. Mm-hmm. No, it was a lucrative business in the thirties. <clears throat> okay, so um, here's the thing. So that same year, 1932, when they made away with a quarter of a million dollars, Arthur Barker was paroled from Oklahoma State Penitentiary, where he had been serving a life sentence for the murder of a night watchman named Thomas J. Sherrill. And what better way to celebrate your parole than joining your brother's already murderous gang? I can't think of one. It sounds like, you're, <laughs> sounds like a great idea. You just made a quarter, a quarter. of a million dollars. <laughs> I don't give a shit if I'm on parole. I want part of that. Yeah, no, I feel the same way. Uh, for all of you that don't know, student loans are due next month. <laughs> so, uh -huh. like, I think everybody with stu like student loans right now, or that graduated in our class, everyone that graduated in our class, our grace period ends. Yeah. Next month. Yeah. So some of, some of sure them end in January. Some of them don't end some next end month. In that's true, but, but I'm sure like most of them would be down for robbing a bank for a quarter of a million dollars right now. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, now, granted, the condition of his parole, this is, this is how bad he was, the condition of his parole were to leave Oklahoma and never come back. That was his condition. <laughs> just leave. We don't want you here. Just leave. <laughs> Jesus, man. It, yeah. Does that still happen? Is that like... <laughs> well, it was the 1930s. Okay. <laughs> That's my only excuse. <laughs> it was the 1930s. Shit happened in the 1930s. Um, from then on, the gang was run by Doc Barker, Alvin, and Fred Barker. Uh, although many other uh, people rotated in and out of the gang, including Fred Goetz, better known as Shotgun George Zegerland, 
Uh, he was suspected to have participated in the Valentine's Day massacre in 1929. And that is where uh, seven members of Chicago's North Side Gang were lined up against a wall in Lincoln Park and gunned down by four unknown assailants who were dressed like police officers. And it remains unsolved to this day. Ooh. So he was one of the suspected maskers or mascarees. Okay. Massacres? <laughs> Ers. Yeah, no, because a massacree is someone who has it's been massacred. Yeah. So. <clears throat> he was one of the suspected gunmen. There we go. Yeah, that uh, sounds another... much more reasonable. <laughs> another member of the Barker Carpus gang was Volney Davis, who was associated with Don John Dillinger. Okay. So they had some big names move in and out of their gang. Uh, the gang then moved to Chicago, but decided, and get this, uh, they decided to leave Chicago because Carpus didn't want to work for Al Capone. <laughs> what do you mean you don't want to work for Al Capone? You didn't want to work for Al Capone. Okay, I guess. <laughs> I guess that's an option and Al Capone won't hunt you down. I didn't know that was a thing that could happen. No, I can't imagine anyone going to Al Capone and be like, nah, man, just don't feel like it. And then leaving unharmed. <laughs> I just don't feel like it today. <laughs> it's been real. Uh, Appreciate it. You're a nice man. You do good business. I'm going to leave. <laughs> You're a nice man. You do good business. Oh, my God. Okay. Um <laughs> So, uh, when he turned on Al Capone, Racketeer Jack uh, Pfeiffer suggested they move to St. Paul, Minnesota, which at the time had a reputation uh, as a heaven, or he, uh, yeah, no, heaven. Haven? Haven. As a haven for wanted criminals. Okay. Uh, this is where they committed most of their more infamous crimes. Now, that three quarter of $3 million, that's big, but robbing a lot of money, unless you do it consistently doesn't make you infamous uh shootouts with the cops turn out due so <laughs> on december of 1932 they hit another bank the third northwestern national bank in minneapolis minnesota but this didn't go as smoothly as their previous bank job as a result the gang got in a violent shootout with the police which solidified their reputation as one of the most vicious criminal gangs in america okay mm-hmm they fled back to St. Paul, uh, where crime boss Harry Sawyer found them hiding out in a house on, at uh, 1031 Roberts Road. Uh, the house was owned by Helen Hanegraaff. Sawyer joined the gang soon after he found them. He didn't snitch them out, because snitches get stitches. However, at the time, the Barker gang were using the name Anderson, but Helen's son, Nick, recognized Alvin and Fred's photos in a copy of True Detective magazine and contacted the police. Ain't that some shit? Bitch, don't do that. True Detective <laughs> magazine has caused more issues for criminals. <laughs> to get ratted out by a magazine. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. And not, like, good... Good. That's what should happen. That's the whole we point. Should, we should bring that back today. It should just be in Cover Girl. And in today's crime section of Cover Girl. Teen Vogue. Teen Vogue would take Teen it up. Teen Vogue. Ah, yes. Oh my god, yes. Especially during our time when it was all emo shit. We would eat that shit up. Oh god, yeah. Oh, there was a crime. Ooh. Look at that Tell fringe he has, though. <laughs> was there blood involved? Because I'm not interested there... if there wasn't blood involved. Was there blood on the dance floor? God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we can go home now. <laughs> <laughs> I've just made the best joke. All right. <laughs> uh, but the Barker boys got away. Uh, turns out the chief of police, Thomas... Big Tom Brown was corrupt and he tipped the gang off, allowing them to leave town. I'm just saying, at this point in time, anyone with a nickname is definitely, definitely, definitely a part of a gang. I'm just... That's not the part that I'm hung up on. Because it should be, but it's definitely not. How do you distinguish yourself by getting a nickname that is more generic than the fucking name Tom <laughs> Brown? <laughs> Like, the point of a nickname is to be able to tell you from a different Tom Brown, and then your nickname is Big Tom. 
Really? <laughs> That's what you're going to go with? It is Thomas Big Tom Brown. <laughs> also, can I just say, I hope he just went by Big Tom and not Big Tom Brown, because Big Tom Brown sounds like the name of somebody's shit. <laughs> <laughs> A little bit. Oh, God. Okay, um, so he was corrupt. He tipped them off, and they left town. But here's the thing. Uh, you remember Ma's common-law husband, Arthur Dunlap? Yeah. So it turns out he was a loose-lipped man when he was drunk, and the boys were positive that Arthur had sold them out after a night of drinking, so they murdered him while driving away. Nah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> nah. uh, they his naked body was found near Webster, Wisconsin. They ended up in Wisconsin. So that his naked body was found near Webster, Wisconsin with a single bullet wound in his head. Ma had been moved from St. Paul separately and knew nothing of the death. I have questions. <laughs> Did they take his clothes and then shoot him? Or was I, he just naked anyway? Like, I mean, what? if you're on the run, you need all the clothes you can get. In Wisconsin, that shit's not warm almost ever until it's the middle of the summer and then it's like 4,000 degrees. That's exactly why you take the clothes off a dead man, Julia. <laughs> Fine. Fine. All right. Um, I made a good point. You goddamn know it. You did. <laughs> okay. Um, let's see. So the gang relocated to <laughs> Minamoni? Minamoni. Sure. Menominee? <laughs> I feel like I feel like I'm in Finding Nemo. <laughs> Menominee? <laughs> uh, Menominee, Wisconsin. And uh, where was Ma during all this, you ask? Well, I'll tell you. Um, some sources say she was masterminding it, but all sources say that she was just along for the ride. Uh, it wasn't all peaches and sunshine for Ma, though. So here's the thing. After relocating to Wisconsin, Fred Barker hid Ma in a variety of hotels and hideouts separate from the gang. Good. Why, you ask? <laughs> I'm answering your questions for you. I'm asking them and answering them. That's fine. I'm clearly uh, asking the wrong questions. Because I'm like, oh, okay. Well, yeah, you know, if you, if you want to bring your mom on a crime spree, I don't know, maybe don't put her with the rest of your criminal buddies. Well, that's the thing, like, because, like, she's either a mastermind or she's not. Uh, here's the thing. This is what the gang says. They kept her separate because they didn't want her to learn about their crimes. Mm hmm. So if she were the mastermind, uh, it would be completely it would be actually very, very hard for her to be a mastermind if she didn't know about any of their crimes. It would be. But like, regardless, mm -hmm. it makes sense to not keep her with the rest of you. Like, if she is the mastermind, you, you've you gotten rid of your criminal mastermind at the same time as all of your underbosses. And then otherwise, you know, yeah, that's your mom. Don't take your mom on a crime spree. <laughs> that's a terrible idea. They did. They did, though. They kept taking her to all these places. They also kept her separate because uh, Fred wanted to keep her separate from the girlfriends of the gang because she did not get along with them. In true motherly fashion, really. Yeah. Uh, the FBI later claimed that she would try to break up any relationships so that, quote, other women in the gang did their best to avoid her. Mm -hmm. Which is what you get when you bring your mom on your crime spring, like, with you. Yeah, I don't understand why anyone would think this is a great idea. Also, I just said crime spring instead of crime spree. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so her main role in the gang was a front person. Uh, Ma had no criminal history, so she rented property, bought groceries, and became the mundane screen for her family. The gang continued to rob banks until mid-1933 when they decided that robbing banks was becoming too risky. And what next? What, do you, uh, what would any good bank robber do? They decided uh, to become kidnappers. I was going to say, we're skipping straight to murder, aren't we? Okay, no, yes. we're, we're making a pit stop at kidnapping. 
We're making a pit stop at kid. Oh no, they're they're already murderers. They've they've killed so many people at point blank range. No, I know, but like we're skipping exclusively to murder. Oh, like the, I see. Yes. the bank robbery was like mainly a bank robbery with some murder. Now it's just with some murder. murder sprinkled on top. Yeah, no, we're skipping into kidnapping. They didn't actually murder any of the people they kidnapped. Okay. Yeah, no, they got That's their an ransom. Upgrade. I know. So on June 15th, 1933, the Barker Carpus gang kidnapped William Ham of Ham's Brewery. They released Ham four days later after receiving a whopping $100,000 in ransom. Wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Eager to replicate these earnings, uh, in January of 1934, they kidnapped Edward Brimmer in broad daylight. Oh. Yeah. Here's the thing. This kidnapping turned out to be the beginning of the end for the Barker Carpus gang. Okay. See, Brimmer's father was a personal friend of none other than Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Oh, maybe <laughs> check up into the connections that these people like. I assume you you're kidnapping well-connected people because they're the ones with the most money. But I also assume maybe don't kidnap that president's friends <laughs> he killed so many fucking people without <laughs> there it was so many people sam julia he mentioned this kidnapping in a fireside chat oh yeah what yep oh okay yeah i'd say that's that's a pretty quick end for you <laughs> Yeah, and the the police didn't know, or the FBI at this point, it was the FBI, didn't know who had committed the, the ham murder. Or not murder, but the ham kidnapping. Now, they had their suspicions, but they didn't know for sure. Here's the thing. Arthur Barker had personally grabbed Edward Brimmer, and upon collecting ransom for Brimmer, which was $200,000. fuck. <laughs> It was Doc Barker who dropped the captive off. These are these are numbers that are too big <laughs> for me to really wrap my head around today. I will never in my life have two hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, no, they they made like bank. What the fuck? <laughs> yeah, they How did do really you well. Spend it all. You well, that, see, there's therein lies the problem because it's stolen money. So I'm sure that, like, to get it onto the market or to get your money's worth, it's undervalued. Yeah, but but how much? How much <laughs> does that really have to be undervalued? It's still money. It's not, <laughs> it's not like uh, it, the exchange rate for stolen money versus actual money is still money. It's not, <laughs> it's not like I'll give you this uh, $400 if you give me $100 that was not stolen. That's probably not what happened. <laughs> what probably happened was, hey, I stole $200,000. Now what? <laughs> I cannot answer that for you because I've never stolen $200,000, but we'll see how the next two years go and I'll get back to you. <laughs> All right. Uh, all right. Um, so, uh, in addition to uh, kidnapping President Franklin Delano Roosevelt's personal friend, <laughs> Arthur Barker had personally grabbed Edward Brimmer, uh, and upon collecting the ransom for Brimmer, it was uh, Doc Barker who dropped him back off. Along the way, he stopped to refuel the car uh, from a, a gas can. Arthur and Doc are the same person, right? Like that's they're the just... same person. Yeah. Okay. Yep, yep. Sorry, it's I Arthur, Arthur Doc Barker. No, it's okay. Uh, so he stopped to refuel the, the car from a gas can, and he removed his gloves to do so. He then discarded the can, which when recovered, had his fingerprints all over it. Oh. That's not great. Yeah. Nope. That's not fantastic. So the gang, still unaware that the police had identified Doc Barker and not only the Brimmer, but also the ham kidnapping, attempted to launder the money they had extorted. Uh, now, to give them credit, they were correctly convinced that the FBI had recorded the bill's serial numbers. So they relocated to Cuba and then to Florida in an attempt to unload this money. Because those were the days when you could just relocate to Cuba. Yeah. 
So during this time, on November 27, 1934, Lester Babyface Nelson was mortally wounded in a gun battle with the FBI, and Alvin Karpus took his spot as public enemy number one. Ooh. Bringing the full force of the FBI down on the Barker Karpus gang. People don't tend to last too long once that happens. <laughs> nope. That is... That is a J. Edgar Hoover FBI. Oh. And uh, Hoover was... Hoover was an interesting man. Hoover would do anything to get his man. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right. So, uh, now while in Florida, Doc Barker devised a plan for a new robbery. However, aware of the heat on them, the other gang members rejected the idea, believing that they should just keep a low profile, which was a good idea. But this bored Doc Barker, so he left for Chicago, where he met with Byron Bolton, an associate of Fred Goats, and Russell Slim Gray Gibson. <laughs> I love these nicknames. I'm so happy that you did this episode. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it was with Gibson that Barker and Bolton stayed during their uh, time in Chicago. Unfortunately for Barker, his decision not to lay low soon caught up with him. On January 8th, 1935, the FBI traced him to the hideout Gibson and his wife were using and raided the apartment. Now, the raid was bungled from the beginning. The FBI set off tear gas in the wrong apartment, which caused a panic among the tenants. Oh, my God. <laughs> and this is like, they're using this apartment as a hideout. I'm going to guess that it's not like an upstanding neighborhood apartment. I'm going to guess there's so many other criminals in this in this apartment complex. <laughs> so Probably. It, it caused a mass panic with everyone in the apartment complex. And when local police officers arrived on the scene shortly after, they nearly opened fire on the federal agents who they thought were gangsters. <laughs> it was just, it was a clusterfuck from the beginning. It sounds like it was not thought out very well. It was not. Uh, so Gibson, hoping to escape in the confusion, attempted to make it to the fire escaped armed with a Browning automatic rifle and a .32 caliber pistol. But the FBI, quickly recovering from their initial fuck-up, were waiting for Gibson and opened fire. Now, despite the bulletproof vest that Gibson was wearing, the agent's high-powered rifles killed him instantly. His wife, Bolton, and Doc Barker were subsequently, or subsequently arrested, uh, while Bolton and Gibson, Gibson's wife were arrested subsequent to the raid. Doc Barker was arrested on the streets outside of the hideout. So it sounded like they raided, what I got from my research was they raided this apartment complex, found Gibson, Gibson's wife, and Bolton. And then like during that whole kerfuffle, Doc Barker was just like walking down the street, coming back home. And they were like, hey, you. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, I swear, there were supposed to be four of these people here. Where's the, oh, there he is. Exactly. So, in fact, rumor has it that uh, the FBI, when they found him, asked him, "Where's your gun?" And Parker replied, "Home." And ain't a hell, and ain't it a hell of a place for it to be? <laughs> <laughs> so Bolton and Barker were brought in for interrogation. The interviewer was Melvin Purvis. Do you know Melvin Purvis? No, I don't. He was known for leading the manhunts that captured Babyface Nestlin, John Dillinger, and Pretty Boy Floyd. Ooh. Yeah, he was their interrogator. He later wrote that Barker sat in a chair, jaw clenched, looked straight ahead. He also said he was not impressive looking, which is rude. <laughs> That's just rude. <laughs> wow, okay. <laughs> he continued on. Only his eyes told the story of an innate savagery. See, that's a better description. Don't just say someone's not impressive looking. That's rude. <laughs> anyway, uh, Barker stayed tight-lipped, but it didn't matter. In Doc's possession was a map and letters to a college near Lake Weir, Florida, where Fred, Ma Barker, and the remaining Barker Carpus gang members were hiding under assumed names. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I cannot make up these details, Julia, if I tried. I'm the FBI was so excited. 
The FBI was able to find the exact house after, and I shit you not, identifying references to a local alligator named Gator Joe. <laughs> they, they Gator Joe. Because they found Gator Joe. Was it, a, was it an actual it was a, alligator? It was, yes, it was a local alligator that they named Gator Joe. Uh, okay. <laughs> Oh, God, I love this story. Okay, so Fred and Ma had rented the property under the pseudonym Blackburn, claiming to be mother and because the other gang members were there, um, a mother and her sons waiting to vacation in a country or wanting to vacation in a country retreat. Uh, So in the early morning hours on January 16th, 1935, agents surrounded the house at uh, 13250. East Highway CO25 for anyone in Florida that knows what that is, because that makes no sense to me, but it is Florida. Wait, what is it? <laughs> it's 13250 East Highway CO25 is the address of this house. Okay, no, I've never heard of that before. <laughs> I've never heard of it either. <laughs> Florida, your address uh, system is weird. Uh, if it's <laughs> if it's different, let us know, and less weird totally, now. Uh, I... Florida, I love you, but all of you is weird. <laughs> Just a little bit. Um, so what the FBI didn't know was that Carpus and the other gang members had left three days before, leaving only Fred and Ma in the house. Ooh. So as the sun was rising, uh, agents called out for their surrender. Fred, unwilling to go quietly, immediately opened fire, and the agents followed suit. After, and... There's mixed stuff I've read about this. Um, Some people say that the shootout was hours long. I found a couple of sources that say it was 45 minutes long. I'm apt to believe the 45 minutes, because if you have a couple hour long shootout, you have really shit aim. (laughs) You have... uh, Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and go with 45 minutes. Because that's just, that's a lot of patience and resources and ammunition to have if you're back to, because, like, it's not like these people don't have that, but Jesus, hours? Also, yeah, also, like, it's not like the FBI gave a shit about who was in that house. They're going to pepper it, not caring about, oh, are there hostages? Because they don't think there are. They think it's just gang members. Yeah, and I mean... <sighs> Bullets go through walls, y'all. <laughs> they do. They do go through walls. And it's not like the FBI couldn't have been like, oh no, there is a hostage that's dead. Clearly these horrible gang members have killed him. It's a tragedy. But Julia, that's what they did. Innocence. (laughs) (laughs) So after a 45 minute shootout, Fred and Ma Barker were gunned down inside the cottage. Fun fact. (laughs) The 1930s were weird. Many local people came to watch the events, came to watch the shootout. They even held picnics during the gunfire. <laughs> what? You had a picnic. Yeah, no, the... <laughs> yeah. You brought a basket and food and set up on the lawn and went, oh gosh, there's stray bullets flying everywhere. This seems like a good place to be. What is wrong with you people? Instead of a knife, they brought a picnic to a gunfight. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, I love the 1930s. Okay, <laughs> so both bodies were saying uh, both the bodies of Fred and Ma Barker were uh, found in the same front bedroom. Fred's body was riddled with bullets. Ma appeared to have died from a single bullet wound. Oh. Now, according to the FBI, a Tommy gun was found lying in her hands. Other sources say that it was lying between the bodies of Ma and Fred. So the Mm -hmm. FBI painted as she definitely participated in the shootout. Everyone who knew Ma Barker painted it as she definitely did not participate in this shootout. (laughs) Which is where the FBI got in trouble. Yeah. Uh, So the bodies were on public display and then stored unclaimed until October 1st, 1935, when relatives had them buried at Williams Timber Hill Cemetery in Welch, Oklahoma, next to the body of Herman uh, Barker. And so ended the Barker gang. And so began the FBI's race to save face. 
See, they faced poor publicity for having killed a 62-year-old mother. Yeah. It was then J. Edgar Hoover started telling stories of Ma being the brains behind the operation. Interviews with surviving gang members told a completely different story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> One member was recorded as having said she couldn't plan a breakfast. <laughs> oh, that's rude. That's rude, but how's she going to plan a bank robbery if she can't plan a breakfast? You know, it's totally different planning. <laughs> one of those requires organization and one of those requires guns and you know what <laughs> you mean you don't make your pancakes with an AK-47 no that's the one that requires guns it's oh, that, see that's what I thought too okay. <laughs> you've got to you've got to shoot the pan enough so that it heats up enough you cook your pancakes then I mean it'll dent it a little bit but you know uh, not if you get a good cast iron. <laughs> Make sure that seasoning stays intact. It'll all be fine. Yeah, exactly. Um, so Carpus was quoted as saying uh, she was an old-fashioned homebody from the Ozarks. Uh, when something was planned, she was sent to the movies. She saw a lot of movies. <laughs> uh, speaking of Alvin Carpus... Uh, he managed to stay on the move for another 16 months after Ma and Fred Barker were killed. Wow. Uh, during which, during which he pulled an armor car robbery and a train robbery before finally being arrested in New Orleans on May 1st, 1936. Nice. I know, right? <laughs> um, so Doc Barker, the only surviving Barker boy, except for Lloyd, uh, was sent to Alcatraz in the summer of 1935. Carpus mm-hmm. and many other members of the gang soon joined him. In 1939, Doc was shot dead while trying to escape. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Fun fact, while at... <laughs> Julia, this... I can't... Like, I read this and I was like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> oh, is this, is this your twist at the like, end? Is this the yeah, thing? Yeah, okay. Yeah, this is the thing. Uh, fun fact, while I'm in McNeil Island Penitentiary, Carpus began to teach guitar to none other than Charles Manson. Are you fucking with me? <laughs> Why does everything come back to either Charles Manson or fucking Mary, Queen of Scots? What is this? <laughs> I'm really starting to feel like this is one of those, like, you know how when when someone in America doesn't really know what sort of culinary thing, like, where it came from, they were just like, oh, Thomas Jefferson made this up. <laughs> like, Thomas Jefferson you know most what? definitely did not invent macaroni and cheese, but we all pointed him and were like, oh, it was Thomas Jefferson. He made mac and cheese. It was I, cool. Like, I what? have a new theory. Okay. <laughs> I have a new theory that Manson was just a shit ton of munchkins in every prison in the United States that collectively came together and did like a Power Ranger let's go move and formed into <laughs> what is actually Charles Manson. <laughs> because like everyone met Charles Manson. Mm-hmm. Oh my god. All right. Yeah. Yeah, I read that and I was like, you've got to be shitting me. <laughs> um, okay. So <laughs> he taught guitar to none other than Charles Manson. Uh, he said he felt sympathetic to Manson's tumultuous institutionalized upbringing, which saw him in countless orphanages, reformatories, and prisons all throughout his young life. However, or he said uh, Carpus later wrote, it was time someone did something fun for him. But he also said there was something unmistakably unusual about Manson. He was a runt of sorts, but found his place in an experienced manipula- manipulation of others. I did feel manipulated under the circumstances where it hadn't been necessary. Y- you fucking think? <laughs> really? Charles oh, Manson was God. manipulative. Are you sure? I don't think I've ever heard that one before. <laughs> oh my God, he met Charles Manson. Okay. Uh, in 1969, Carpus was paroled and deported to Canada. He moved to Spain in 1972 and co-wrote two books, The Alvin Carpus Story and uh, one on, on the Rock. 
Uh, he died in August 30th, 1979 of natural causes, although it was initially believed to be either a suicide or the result of foul play. Okay. And that is the story of Ma Barker and the Barker Carpus Gang. Well. And Manson. And Manson. And fucking Charles Manson. What? Okay. Thank you. I feel like I learned something today. Welcome. <laughs> what the fuck? I'm telling you, Charles Manson was everywhere. Oh my god. <sighs> He's an Oompa Loompa. I think he might be. <laughs> I think he's an Oompa Loompa that escaped. And then like he just got together with all the other Oompa Loompas and like did one of those like weird Charlie and the Chocolate Factory melt togethers. <laughs> Listen, and I absolutely would believe that Charles Manson is an alien. I so <laughs> believe it. I think he is. <laughs> <laughs> all right. <laughs> So my sources were biography.com, Wikipedia, Find a Grave, and the Joplin, uh, an article from the Joplin Globe uh, called Bill Caldwell, Barker Gang Made Crime the Family Business by Bill Caldwell. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. (laughs) What the fuck? Today we've learned that you can cook pancakes with an AK-47 and Charles Manson is everywhere. And Gator Joe will definitely snitch on you. Yeah. Yeah, he will. Do you know how mad I would be if an alligator named Gator Joe was the reason you found me in my adult? I I feel like I would be disappointed. Because, like, I have always had this feeling that, like, I'm going to die because an animal is going to kill me. <laughs> I have never <laughs> once thought that that would be the reason. <laughs> I would like if I were Fred, I'd be like, "How'd you find me?" And if they went Gator Joe, I would just kill myself then. <laughs> Did you say Trader Joe? Gator Joe? God damn it! God damn it! <laughs> oh, so uh, that I'll leave it up to you, uh, you lovely listeners. Was Mara Barker a criminal mastermind like J. Edgar Hoover said she was? Or was she just an overindulgent parent who followed her sons on their crime spree? Uh, You know, I'm going to go ahead and believe J. Edgar Hoover because I don't (laughs) care that he's dead. He'll still find a way to kill me if I don't. (laughs) The FBI are listening right now, Julia. That's a good choice. (laughs) (laughs) If you think we're not on some watch list somewhere considering that this is what we do for fun, you are wrong. (laughs) (laughs) all right uh that brings us to the end of this episode real quick julia because we forgot to do it in the beginning tell the people about our lovely lovely network oh god we did (laughs) okay so we are part of the civilized creatures podcast network and we are so happy to be part of the civilized creatures podcast network because we are Mm -hmm. part of just the best group of people it's Um, a family yeah they are we um We've had some shifts in the network recently. Um, Michelle Guild from Welcome to My Show is not going to be podcasting as much because she got a boyfriend and he's like a hot vegan Jesus. And our creature feature for this week is going to be Drinks with Larry. We've talked about Drinks with Larry before because we love them. Um, We've got a couple really interesting things coming up for podcasts of the roundtable. We're going to have an all-women episode in a couple weeks. Hell yeah. Uh, That'll be really interesting. And we've got just, you know, we've got merch out. The network does. We don't. Uh, We're working on it. (laughs) We're working on it. (laughs) um, Drinks with Larry is super fun. And then that brings to the end, because then the last creature feature is going to be us. Um, Hell yeah. so that brings our little cycle to the end, and then we'll either start over or come up with something new. <laughs> I like the creature features. I do, too. I think they're fun. But anyway, go check out Drinks with Larry, because they're hilarious and wonderful and nerdy and geeky, and they are just a riot to mm-hmm. sit down and listen to. It really is like an intro course to how to make friends as an adult, which is something I desperately need help with. Yeah. Also, we did a uh, collaboration with them. We played uh, Drunk Jeopardy. 
Yeah. No, it was super fun. I really had mm-hmm. a great time, and I'm hoping to be back on their show not too long from now. But we'll see, based on just how everybody's schedule is working. And Stephanie mm-hmm. from Drinks with Larry is going to be on the All Females Podcast with the Roundtable episode. So, yes. yeah, seriously, go check them out. Uh, check out the rest of the creatures, and then you can find them um, pretty much everywhere at Civilized Creatures. Um, they have a Facebook page, a Twitter, and an Instagram. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at W-I-Y-H-T. You can find us on Instagram at What's In Your Hometown. And if you have any sort of suggestions for what we should do with our lives or otherwise, you should email us. <laughs> Please give us suggestions for what to do with our lives, because we've decided we don't know. <laughs> we don't. I've run out of uh, ideas. I've been working as a paralegal for three weeks, and I've never in my life been more sure that I don't want to do law. So, Girl, I applied for a clerkship today, and as I was applying for it, I was like, please don't pick me, please don't pick me, please don't pick me. <laughs> yep. So, uh, regardless. Um, yeah, no, you can always write into us at whatsinyourhometown at gmail.com, and we will be so happy to hear from you. We do happy dances. Yes, we do. <laughs> Uh, also, if you would like pictures of our pets, please tell us, because we have so many, and I feel weird <laughs> spamming them places, but I also there's want so to share them with people. Oh my god, There's I have so many pictures of Byron. Mm-hmm. Okay. Alright, and that brings us to the end of this episode, so you have got to wonder, with all the weird Gator Joe shit in the world... <laughs> <laughs> This is What's your part, he? Julia. <laughs> I thought there was more. Now it's me messing up. You did it backwards. That's what it was. You did it backwards. You said you've got to wonder with all the... Cri- Normally, it's with all the shit going on in the world, you've oh. got to wonder. I did it backwards. I'm sorry. We've only been doing this for a year now. <laughs> oh, Jesus. I was waiting for her. You've got to wonder. And then I went, wait, she, she said that already. <laughs> I was just looking at you. I was like, did you freeze again? <laughs> I didn't. Okay, okay. Let's do it. I'm going to keep part of that. Let's do okay. it again. <laughs> so... With all the crazy Gator Joe shit in the world, you have got to wonder (laughs) what's in your hometown. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.